Uh, we're going to read um, uh, Second uh, Kings. We'll be reading the verse 2, 23 to uh, 24 from the NIV version. But before, before we do that, uh, would you join me in prayer this morning for the scripture? Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for uh, just the opportunities being here. Thank you, God, for their worship. Thank you, God, because we're in this place. I pray that uh, as we read this passage that you can uh, just touch our hearts, speak into our lives, God. Um, we're so grateful just to be here and just for another opportunity to worship you, God, this morning. Amen. Amen. So Second uh, Kings um, 2, 23-24 says, From there Elijah went up to uh, Bethel. And he was walking along the road. Some boys came out of the town and uh, yelled at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they say. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, um, but uh, how's he going to preach out of this one, right? So, but, you know, all scripture is God-breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, for the edification of the church and the community. We just have to find a way to put scripture in context um, and figure out the bigger picture of what's going on, amen? And so... That's what this, this series is about. And actually, this series is coming to a close. This is the last week for the series. We're going to move on next week to Jesus Moves. Um, and um, that's going to lead us into, we're going to have, it's going to deal with different interactions with Jesus in the Gospels. And that's going to move us into Advent season, which is end of November or so. And during Advent, we're wanting to, um, as a community, uh, interact more, engage more. And so we're going to have a weekly um, small group that meets here, but also hybridly on, on Zoom 
um, to interact with the sermon scripture um, in more kind of practical ways or how are we resonating with it, how are we applying it. And so we're hoping that, that during Advent we can um, gather together in that way um, more. Um, I, I know I've told this story in this church before, but when I was growing up, uh, my elementary years were in Texas, um, uh, Richardson, Texas. When we lived in Richardson, Texas, um, I went to elementary school, and my very first week there, um, I remember I was a new student um, trying to make friends, first grade, um, probably the only Asian-American in the school. There might have been one other, and we kind of avoided each other because it's kind of awkward. Like, we can't just hang out with each other as the only Asians in the school. But uh, uh, so I was new to the school, and um, yeah, just trying to figure out how how to be and adjust in Texas. Um, And uh, after my first week, another new student showed up, and. no, it wasn't another new student. Oh, this is what happened. I was a new student, um, but there was a, another student who befriended me, right? They, they uh, sat with me during lunch. We hung out a little bit, so I, I had one friend. I had a friend. Um, but after school, one day walking home from school, I noticed that this kid uh, was being bullied. He was being surrounded um, by another group of like maybe four or five kids, and they were teasing him, pushing him, shoving him. Um, unfortunately, that happens in schools. And um, and want like the sense of justice and protection came over me, and and I didn't know what to do. Uh, I myself was a new student, um, and we were outnumbered. But I saw this, there just happened to be a chain on the ground, like one of those thick uh, like rope chains. And so I picked it up, and I started swinging it, right? And I went, I made the Bruce Lee sound. Ah! Right? And all the kids were like, got afraid all of a sudden. They all scattered. They're like, he knows karate. He knows karate. So uh, I, that's one of the times that, you know, I don't usually like stereotypes, but sometimes you can capitalize on stereotypes in order to, to fit to your advantage. So they thought, I'm Asian, so and I'm making Bruce Lee sounds, and I'm swinging that chain like a pair of nunchucks, so clearly I know karate, right? Clearly I know what I'm doing. And so they all scattered and me and that friend walked home together that day and um, you know had friends uh, we we became closer Um, but that um, I tell that story because there's times where we know there's something wrong happening right that that someone is being hurt or um, a more powerful thing is hurting a, a less powerful thing and it, it brings up a sense of righteous anger, right? It brings up a sense of, I need to do something about it. It brings up a sense of, this needs to stop. And so, um, and I think about that when I think about Jesus in the temple when he's overturning uh, the tables and the money changers' tables and, 
you know, being angry because of what's happening in the temple, the injustice and kind of uh, keeping others from having access to the full worship um, of God, of Yahweh, um, that he was pushing back on that. And there was an amount of, not violence, but like force, forcefulness and frustration in that, a pushback, right? And, and there are times when just growing up that that continued to be what drove me, right? When I saw a weaker person being oppressed or when I saw uh, something that was not fair, it just, that sense of justice always rose up in me. Now, maturing and becoming more responsible and then becoming a disciple of Jesus and now a pastor, how I fight or push back needs to be refined, right? I can't, you know, now I wouldn't pick up a chain and go, ah, right? That just wouldn't fly, right? But um, it's still there. And I believe that's, uh, a lot of that is from God. And that the walking in that, that sense of justice and fighting for justice uh, continues to be something I grow in and learn in. And maybe um, some of you out there can resonate with that. That same sense of justice and fairness and love um, is actually what makes us real against this passage, right? Because what we read is there's four, 42 small children. Is that what the, the passage says? 42, can you put it? Oh, there's no one up there. Back to the youth group. <laughs> It's like, there's youth group and everything, like, everyone leads. It's like, what, what, who am I talking to? <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. But can you go back a couple? I just want to stay on that passage. Yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to see what the translation in this one. It's uh, 42 boys, right? 42 of the boys. Yeah, so the sense that there's little kids... Yes, little kids always tease, right? Little kids, they're little kids. We don't give them as much responsibility as we would adults. And so they're teasing, they're teasing uh, Elisha. But is that, right? Does that, that uh, does the punishment match the action, in other words? Right? The, them teasing Elijah, does, do they deserve... Two she bears coming out and mauling them. I don't know if you've uh, watched that uh, movie uh, Re- Revenant, right? There's a scene where who's that? Leonardo DiCaprio gets mauled by a bear, and it's just long, intense, like whoa scene. Um, that's what I imagine when I imagine when I hear the word maul. When I read the word maul, like this bear just jacking up these kids, these little boys, according to what we read uh, on a surface level from the scripture. So that's like, that's not fair. Right? I thought God was about love. I thought God was good. And surely, sure, they did something disrespectful and bad, but whatever, take away their toys or put them in time out or, you know, but maul them with bears? That's, that's just overkill. What, what's up with it? I don't want to worship a God who would maul 42 bears. I don't want to worship a God like that. That's, that's not, that's unjust. That's not unfair. That's violent. That's over-violent. 
And so it brings up those things in us, and it brings up all the challenges and questions we've been asked by our non-believing friends growing up in the church. Like, you know, how can you follow, if you say God is loving and blah, 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 why do these things happen? Why does he let whole nations be destroyed? Why does he let these bears maul these little boys? Like, what kind of God would do that? Are you with me, church? That's, it's clearly uh, attention and what makes this a difficult passage. So let's dive in um, because there's a lot of approaches to the Bible and a lot of preachers and commentators um, kind of approach the scripture in different ways. And I just want to kind of bring up some of the things, the issues that come up in the scripture and um, maybe not necessarily answer a uh, a direct, like, this is what it means, but kind of approaches to the scripture. Um, but at this time, we see that Elisha went up to Bethel. So who is Elisha? Elisha is basically the protege or understudy or disciples of Padawan, if you're a Star Wars fan, Padawan of Elijah. Basically, he's the one disciple of Elijah in being the prophet over Israel. And Elijah, um, by the time of this passage, Elijah has just been taken up by a whirlwind or a ch- that looked like a chariot up into heaven. And before that, basically he blesses Elisha with his powers because that's what Elisha asked for. Can you give me like a like double portion of your ability or something like that? And Elijah grants this to him and basically blesses and anoints Elisha as his replacement. You now are the head prophet above all prophets. You are taking my place. So that's who Elisha is. And Elisha uh, begins to do miracles, and he, uh, he has to establish that indeed to the people that the spirit of Elijah and the powers of Elijah through God, of course, are upon him. And so one of the first miracles that he performs is splitting the Jordan, right? And we, we remember that um, when the people enter the promised land, the land of Canaan, uh, led by Joshua, right? The, the splitting of the Jordan River and crossing through. Moses did something like that, splitting the Red Sea and the people passing through through salvation. So that's kind of an archetype, right? Uh, uh, an image of salvation, a leader taking God's people into salvation through a dry, through the splitting of the waters and um, onto dry land. Um, so Elijah's performing these Elisha is performing these miracles, demonstrating that indeed the spirit of Elijah is upon him. Elisha, this Elisha is going up to Bethel. What is Bethel? Where is Bethel? At this time, Bethel um, was in the northern kingdom. So remember that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had separated. The southern kingdom is where Jerusalem was, Jerusalem, the temple was. This is where uh, Jerusalem was the center of worship. The northern kingdom didn't have Jerusalem, so they needed to establish uh, the center of worship. And there wasn't an anointed temple or city um, until King Jeroboam, he founded Dan, two places, Dan and Bethel. Um, Dan was in the northern part of the northern kingdom, and Bethel in the southern part of the northern kingdom 
Um, and these were the northern kingdom's two alternate alternatives to Jerusalem, basically. But the other thing that Jer Jeroboam did was to set up golden calves um, at these sites in Bethel and Dan. Um, and he ordained uh, non-Levites, non-Aaronic priests uh, to... Um, perform festivals and perform rituals and it, it kind of mixed in with uh, the cultures and the people that already were in there, the land of Canaan, right? So the northern kingdom kind of took upon itself, proclaimed itself, uh, the new, uh, uh, taking upon itself the identity of Canaan, like we are the land of Canaan, the promised land. Uh, but at the same time, there's synchronistic things happening, right? Synchronistic meaning we're kind of blending in with the existing culture. And so like kind of, um, what do you call it? Yeah, blending in with the, the, the culture. And so Baal worship um, and the temple of Baal and the priests of Baal became more prevalent in these temples to the point that it, did, it wasn't the worship of Yahweh. It didn't look like what you would see in Jerusalem. It was the worship of Baal. Um, so that's what Bethel. And so Elijah is going up to Bethel, and like Elijah, the, and like many prophets of old, continuing to come to the people of God and saying, you've forgotten what it means to be the people of God. You've forgotten the ways. You've followed after other gods. And the God, Yahweh, is the one true God, a jealous God, and wants to bring you back. If you continue to be disobedient, this and this and this and this and this will happen. If you continue to be disobedient, you know, you'll be punished or, you know, I will forsake you, uh, blah, blah, blah. So Elisha is going to Bethel to um, play out the role of prophet to speak a prophetic truth to Bethel. Like, you guys are losing it. You better come back to God. And so on his way to Bethel, that's when these boys, quote-unquote, uh, confront him. And now um, what some commentators or some approaches to this are these young boys, as other translations say, these boys, like what age are they? Are they actually like, like the kids that just left, right? Like are they actually elementary or even younger than that? Little boys that are just teasing Elijah because of um, his hair, um, his looks, um, and Elisha just gets really mad. Maybe he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe he's, you know, hangry. <laughs> maybe he's, like, he's kind of like had an Anakin Skywalker moment, like he's strong in the force. Elijah had just be given him the powers of the force of the Holy Spirit, and he just overdoes it, right? <laughs> right? You guys are bad, so I'm going to take it back. Revenge. Bah. Um, so a lot of people say that the word, the Hebrew word here, ne'ar kotan, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's N-A apostrophe A-R, ne'ar, and Q-A-T-O-N, kotan, uh, little children, it's often um, translated. But ne'ar uh, is also translated oftentimes as servants, um, 
meaning servants like priests, almost like there are, there are places in scripture um, where dis- the word ne'ar is used to describe priestly servants. Um, what's the other? There's 50, there's 50 times in the Old Testament where ne'ar is not translated little boy, uh, but as servants. So we know that that part is ambiguous, and it's more than likely. Solomon even describes himself as, you know, God has anointed me king, but I am just a ne'ar kwatan, like I am just a little boy, but meaning I'm a young man, you know, a young servant. Not like a little boy, but I'm young, right? So um, people say, commentators say, scholars say, it's more likely not our kindergartners or third graders or fourth graders, it's more likely teenagers, like post, post the time of, um, you are accountable now, you are an adult now, you're a teenager or young man. Um, so we can read, some young men came out of town and jeered him, in the least, uh, people say. Or if we take the servant translation, uh, servants or priestly servants, they could be people who worked, who served in the temple, right? The non-Levite servants um, working in the temple of Baal who are coming out as a posse. And this, this kind of makes more sense to me that it's an intentional group that's coming out to meet Elisha, does that make sense? Rather than 42 kindergartners. I mean, where else do you see 42 kindergartners just playing? You know, like it's not 42 kindergartners playing. It's 42 servants of Baal coming out in hostility, like a posse coming out to meet Elisha. And, and they're saying, get out of your baldy. They said, get out of your baldy. The translation actually says, go up from here. And it's the same phrase as when Elijah was taken up um, to heaven. Elijah went up from there, was, flew up from there. They're saying, you, they're basically, you could say, they're saying, die. Like, just like Elijah, get out of here. Go up from here. And if we remember... Um, Earlier in chapter 2 of 2 Kings, in verses 3 and verse 5, the sons of the prophets inform Elijah, before Elijah is taken up, they, they say earlier that day, Yahweh will take up your master from over your head today. So basically, your Elijah, they warn him twice, like, God is going to take up your head today. And so the other implication is that that Elisha wasn't actually bald, right? Maybe he had shaved his head because Elijah was dead and he was mourning. Or maybe they're saying, your authority, right? Your head, you don't have a head. Go up from here just like Elijah. Get out of here just like Elijah. So basically, if this is the case, here are the priests of Baal confronting in a posse, Elisha saying, you have no authority, you have no power, you've lost Elijah, your head is gone, and they're saying, get, out, get up from her, die, die, right? Powerless prophet. Die, die, powerless prophet. Um, so he turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse 
on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. So yeah, I guess when you think about the boys being older uh, and maybe perhaps actual servants of the Temple of Baal, that that changes the story for us a bit. The other thing that we noticed that, what is mauling, right? Some people take this approach. It doesn't say that they were killed, right? Maybe they were just mauled, right? Like, maybe like half their face just got swiped off by the paw of the bear. Like, but they didn't die. They survived. Yeah, you can totally survive that. It's, like, it's not like they were killed, so it's not complete judgment, right? So they lived. Uh, yeah, like... I don't know about you, if, the, if there's any punishment I could choose, a bear, getting mauled by a bear is probably really low on the list. Like, that still would be a very, like, violent, painful, like, scary way um, to be injured. Um, but some commentators take a step back and look at the bigger picture and they, they make this connection that Elijah is to Elijah as Joshua is to Moses, right? So if Moses was the original leader leading the people into the promised land, but he didn't actually, he actually wasn't the one to lead them into the actual promised land, Joshua took over and Joshua was the one that led the people across Jordan. Then Elisha, in the same way, when Elijah is taken up, he replaces Elijah, just as Joshua replaced Moses, and there the crossing of the Jordan happens again. So there, it's a symbol, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a comparison that Elijah is like the new Joshua, taking the people into the land of Canaan. And what was important to God as the people were going into Canaan, right? What was important to God? Don't intermingle. Don't intermarry, right? Because if you begin to intermingle and you begin to intermarry, you'll begin to lose your worship of me, how you worship with me. You'll lose your distinctiveness as the people of God, right? So don't mix. And this is what uh, Elisha is coming as he's crossing into Jordan into the land of Canaan, the northern kingdom who had intermingled their culture, their religion with the people that were there, the people of Canaan, uh, he's coming to say, man, you've lost your way, right? What I want is you to be a distinct people and then to be a blessing to the other people, not you know, become the other people, right? Because then how can you be a blessing? You lose your identity. Don't lose your identity. But Bethel has kind of lost its way so much, right? And it's represented by this band of men who come uh, mocking the prophet of God. Mocking the prophet of God. And so, uh, in that sense, this, this punishment is a judgment. You know, uh, growing up in Sunday school, I think I remember... Sunday school, oftentimes this is taught in the Sunday school, which is like, this should be banned from Sunday school. Like, like, what do you teach kids from this? 
But the, it's usually a morality story, right? Often, as often difficult passages in Bible are taught in Sunday school as a morality lesson. And what's the morality lesson? Sometimes our Sunday schools are all about teaching kids that they need to obey their parents and their elders, right? I've been to churches where that's, that was their main emphasis, like Sunday school, which is good. It's a good lesson. Kids should obey their parents, but I, I think that's kind of a shallow reading and approach to scripture. But basically, it's a morality story to say, look what happens when you don't respect your teachers or your elders or parents and don't listen to them. Just like these little boys got mauled by a bear, you, there are consequences to disobeying your parents or disobeying your pastors or disobeying your teachers or disrespecting them. And it's kind of, that's the lesson for Sunday school. <laughs> and I think uh, there's a lot of problematic things for that on one side. On the other side, yeah, complex passages are hard to teach little children. And so, you know, just keep it simple, right? Keep it simple. Obey. Um, so I think, I feel like all of that is in there, right? All of that is in there. Like, the people of God are rebelling against God. And this is, this portrays the war that is happening between good and evil, right? God's people and not God's people. And what can happen if we allow the world's ways or the world's, you know, kind of culture to influence us more than what God has been saying. This is what it means to be my people. So that's one side. And that's throughout scripture. Like, you can get with me or you can get with that, right? You can get with God or you can get with Pharaoh. You can get with God or you can get with Baal. You can get with God or you can get with whatever. Like, don't lose your way and this battle since the Garden of Eden is happening between good and evil. And God, being a jealous God, is wanting his people to stay with him, to be, you know, his people. He, he is their love, their first love. I want to be your first love, first love, first love. And God gets really intense when those that he loves turn their backs on him, right? Because... He knows that that path um, is not good. It's deadly or it leads to death or harm. We are in this battle and we need to be aware that there are many things in our culture and our world that are hostile to God's love, to God's ways, to God's justice, right? And as people of God, as the church, we can't be naive to the things that would make a mockery of our faith. So if we take this as an image, right, there are servants of evil out there mocking God, right? Baldy, baldy, you have no authority, you have no truth in this place, you have, you have no power here, go up from here. Right? And as Christians, oftentimes, you know, I remember the phrase growing up. I don't know, I, I can't ask any of the youth if it's still a popular phrase, but it's all good. Right? You remember? It's all good. And I used to say that all the time in high school uh, and, and college. It's all good. It's all good. And it's a way of saying, like, someone's like, I'm sorry, you know, that happened. 
And you don't want to say, I forgive you that that happened. You say, oh, it's all good. It's like avoiding the intensity of that moment. Uh, until I used to do that all the time until someone who was mentoring me said, it's not all good. Is it all good? It's not all good. Why do you say it's all good when it's not all good? There are some things in the world that are bad, right? That are hurtful, that are, you know, destructive, that are systemically un- unjust, right? Unjust. There are things people hurt people, right? People choose between good and bad. And that's very important, this mentor would say, to being a disciple of Jesus, right? If, you, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you believe in the good news, you have to believe then that there's bad news, right? If we believe in good news, that means there's bad news. And so, yes, there is a tension between good and bad, and don't be naive. Don't be naive and say, oh, it's okay, that's okay. That happening is okay. That happening over there, this person doing that to that person, that's okay. Because it's not all okay. Some of it is a part of a fallen, broken world. In fact, a lot of it is about a fallen and broken world. Amen? Amen. And so... Part of being the church or the people of God is recognizing our distinctiveness, right? We are a people set apart. Now, the problem is, well, I'll get to that later. So we're in this battle, and we need to recognize things that would make a mockery of our faith, of God's authority, of God's uh, sovereignty in the world. But we also need to contextualize our witness, right? How do we confront evil in our world today, right now? Clearly, like, if someone is dissing on God or, you know, doing something evil, I wouldn't command two she-bears to go and maul them. (laughs) Like, that's not the right choice, right? So how do we speak prophetically into our world now? How do we push back and confront evil right now if we're in a quote-unquote battle? I don't think violence or physical like, you know, punishment is the approach or even cursing in the name of the Lord. How do we contextualize our, our witness um, we live, so this is how I approach this. We live in the time of Jesus' new covenant, right? A covenant of love, a covenant of grace. And because Jesus has spoken uh, life into us in the midst of where we would, we ought to die, right? That's what we believe, right? We should die because of our sin and rebellion, but we have received life through Jesus Christ. And that way, our new, our new confrontation to the world is love and grace. We speak life, not curses. Yes. It's important, but it's still, imp- like, it's not, it doesn't mean be nice to everyone. Or, lo- you know, it's, I equate it to, like, when we talk about race, Right? When people say, oh, it's not about color. We're all the same. Uh, like, 
like the intention behind that is good, but it's not quite correct because you're basically painting everything the same color when what you need to do is recognize the differences, right? That's what I mean by don't, don't be naive. Let's be clear about what's happening in the world and clear about defining, you know, you know, being able to articulate that's not just, that's not love, that's evil right there. Don't be naive, be shrewd as snakes in defining what's going on in the world. I know this, I need to be really shrewd about defining things with Cammie, because Cammie's, I can see already that she's sharp and that she's going to like kind of manipulate things, right? So I have to be clear, no, actually, Cammie, this is what you did. Remember, right? And be clear and like precise about it. So let's be shrewd and not naive to what is the gospel news in our world versus what is the voice of death in our world. And fight for the good news. Fight for life. It's not going to look like cursing a bunch of people so that they're mauled by bears. But it'll be like speaking life. Right? And we have the ability in our witness to speak life into our neighbor's lives, into a stranger's life, into our children's life. I know my words are really powerful, right? I can, in a moment of anger, criticize my son um, and then later find out that he's been internalizing that and he's insecure, that that's made him insecure about, oh, I'm stupid or I can't do that. Right? Or a moment of moodiness can bring down the, my whole house, house's mood. Right? Or what I say in a fit of road rage to someone who's cut me off. If I honk and like, ah, da, da, da. not that I do that too often. <laughs> but, but even our words to a stranger can affect, can affect things. Right? So how... In this way, I'm calling out Elisha, right? So another uh, pastor or sermon I read or listened to, the pastor actually took another approach. It's like, we say it's all about, you know, they're cursing the prophets, so they will be cursed, right? But what about Elisha, who's being sent into Bethel to be a witness of God's truth? Is that the way a witness should respond? By cursing people. And I thought that was, maybe that that's, may not be what's happening in the passage. I don't know. But it's a take that I take from this. Like, when we're walking into the city and we're confronted, how do we respond? Right? When we're confronted by opposition, when we're confronted by a bunch of boys who are bullying your friend, like, how do we respond? What, what's the loving, godly thing in the midst of that?
And are you with me, church? The curse. Um, this sermon is entitled The Curse. Um, so the question is what's happening in our lives right now or in our context right now where we feel we are being mocked or the church is being mocked? or our pe- my people are being mocked, uh, or something unfair and unjust is happening. And what comes up in you when that's happening? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, during COVID, if there's a lot of age, uh, violence against uh, Asian American Pacific Islanders in our country, and there's a lot of, lot of increase of that, right? That's happening. What does that bring up in me when I reflect on that? Anger, frustration. I have friends, <laughs> Asian friends of mine, guys, who are like, you know, I'm going to start caring if they own guns, right? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> right? Or, or like, they're, even I felt that, oh, Oh, you can pick on our elderly. Come pick on a young, <laughs> young Asian guy. You're, you're not gonna get that. You're gonna get a beat down back, right? That's the that's the emotion, right? And the question is, what do you feel when you're being mocked by the posse? And then, what is our response? Like, what is the godly response? What is the, what are the words of the prophet? So as the worship team comes up, um, let's reflect on that in our own lives and in the world around us. And uh, I'll pray. God, thank you for your word. And there are so many uh, weird and strange and difficult passages in the Bible, so many nooks and crannies in scripture that we haven't even, we don't know completely. Uh, We haven't even studied completely. And um, your word is a mystery and it's a bottomless fount and spring of wisdom and knowledge because it's alive and alive in the church and alive in us. So continue in your spirit to move us with your word um, so that it can accomplish uh, what you want in our hearts as individuals and accomplish in the world your will. In Jesus' name, amen.